You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors, everyone. Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey Janoff. Hey, yo. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about retirement spending and saving for retirement. A lot of our listeners are well below retirement age, but a lot of what we do is planning for that day when you will be retired because that's what everyone wants to do at some point, I think. (laughs) Um, How you want to live and spend money in retirement definitely affects how you should be saving now and how much you should be saving now, so we thought we would talk a little bit about that. For some folks, it's really important to leave something behind for other people. And it could be family, it could be charitable organizations, anything like that. For other people, it's like, let's live life to the fullest. Let's, you know, spend our money and enjoy life. And whether that's doing it with your family or doing it on your own, there could be lots of different approaches to this. And I don't think either is wrong. I think it's just that that decision that you have to make about like, what is my goal? Like, how do I want this to look? We want to make sure that when we're planning, we're taking into consideration what those goals are, whatever they may be. So today we're going to focus a little bit on the that first group of people. Like, what does it mean to leave a legacy? What does it mean to, to be saving money so that when you pass away or even before you pass away, you have something to give to other people? So we're going to work on that a little bit today and just discuss a few things like determining your goals, what you know your savings and spending strategies can be but also when you are in retirement how should we approach using the resources that we have you want to get us started Corey? yes i think with everything first and foremost let's determine what our goals and objectives are because it's kind of hard to plan if you don't know what direction you want to head in um and and this doesn't have to be, you know, we don't want to make it an overwhelming or stressful exercise here. You know, you don't even need to know necessarily what your goal is. Just take a guess. Take your best guess on, you know, what do you think you might want? And, you know, your your desires could change over time, you know? Um, it, 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 there's nothing wrong with changing your mind. Um, and then you adjust accordingly. But at least to get some general direction of what you think you might want to accomplish or do, let's just kind of write it in pencil, not pen, um, and then we can always deviate from there. But that, that's uh, very helpful to give you some general direction of where you want to go so that you can plan accordingly. Um, now, since we're talking about legacy planning today and leaving a legacy, if the goal is to make sure you have sizable enough assets so there's money to leave behind, then you're going to need to save a a, a large portion of your income, unless maybe you've already inherited some wealth and a different story. Then we just got to make sure we don't blow through it all if you want to leave some behind for the next generation. But uh, you definitely have to be prudent with your finances and, and spend less than you earn or spend less than you have already in order to make it last so that you can be in a position to leave some money behind, whether that be for your heirs or charity or whomever. What's next, Rochelle? 
Yeah. So the the second thing is after you've kind of decided what you want to do, you want to come up with a spending and saving strategy for right now while you're earning income. Generally, when we're chatting with people who are in medical professions, a lot of time we suggest that people aim to save at least 20% of their gross income for retirement. That's obviously dependent on your situation. Like whatever your goals are, your lifestyle is, it may be more or less, but that's kind of a good guideline for people who want to save a good amount for retirement, but maybe have a slightly later start because you have to go through extended periods of time and training and before you reach those peak income earning years. If your goal is to preserve wealth, it's very likely that you're going to need to save a lot more than 20% of your gross income for those longer term goals. Um, And it doesn't necessarily mean that we want people to live like a Spartan lifestyle, but you want to do things like minimize your fixed expenses. Like if you don't need a 3,000 square foot house, don't buy a 3,000 square foot house. You know, if you need something a little bit smaller, a little bit easier to maintain, something a little bit less costly, that that's a good place to start thinking about saving more money. So if you can think about the fixed expenses in your life, those are often the biggest expenses. So that could be your mortgage. It can be maybe like student loans, which we can't necessarily do a whole lot about. But lots of those big bills, any way that you can minimize those really big bills, that's going to be a great way to save more of your money. The other thing is that, you know, look at your spending and try to think, what of this spending makes me happy? (laughs) If it's things that make you happy or things that make life a little better for you, that's probably something you want to keep doing. Like we don't necessarily want to stop that so that you can plan for other people unless that's like a big goal of yours. But if you can cut out the things that don't necessarily make you happy, the things that you're like, oh, I bought that, but like then I got it and I was like, why did I buy this? Like let's stop doing that kind of thing, <laughs> which we, we all do that to a certain extent. But if we can minimize the spending on things that we don't need or really even want in the long run, obviously we have more money to save. The other thing about, you know, just strategizing how we're spending and how we're saving is that if you can automate things, especially on the savings side, that is a great way to be saving money without even thinking about it. So we want to automate, like maxing out our retirement plans at work, maxing out, you know, any other retirement plans you may have access to, putting some money aside in a brokerage account. If we can do it every single month and what we have left is what we can spend, then maybe, you know, we're, we're kind of limiting ourselves that way in terms of how much we may be spending. It could be that you have substantial enough income that you can have the fancy house and you can spend money on all the crap you don't need, all the stuff you don't need, and still you can have more money to leave behind. And, and that's, that's fine too. Like it really just depends on what your financial situation is as well. So there's lots of different things that we can think about when we're thinking about spending, when we're thinking about saving to really maximize what we have to leave behind. For sure. Now, to help maximize what you can leave behind, um, you know, obviously we want to max out all of our tax-favorable retirement accounts because tax benefits, why not? Um, but you know, pay, pay particular attention to the Roth accounts because pre-tax accounts, you know, you got to pay taxes on all the money that you withdraw from those accounts in retirement, and your heirs, you know, if you leave a, a IRA behind, they're going to have to pay taxes on the money they take out when they withdraw it. Um, but the Roth accounts, all the money coming out is tax-free. So it definitely makes the money last longer and uh, allows the heirs to, to make 
more use out of it. So backdoor Roth IRAs, you know, obviously we've, we've talked about numerous times, do that. Um, maybe do Roth contributions to your 401k. You know, you can do the employee salary deferral, which is 22500 this year. Every year it increases a little bit. Um, you could do that as a Roth contribution at your employer. And then all of that money will, will after hopefully it grows over time, will be able to be withdrawn tax-free in retirement. Um, and then, you know, or, or your heirs can draw it tax-free when they inherit it. If your employer allows you to do the after-tax contributions on top of that 22000 limit and then convert those after-tax dollars into the Roth within the plan, the quote-unquote mega backdoor Roth, you know, you could get up to potentially the $66,000 limit um, as Roth money if desired uh, and allowed. Not all employers offer this, though. It's, it's you know... You know, fewer and, and farther between, um, but we're starting to see it, it a little more common um, than it used to be a handful of years ago. Um, the other one, brokerage accounts, those taxable brokerage accounts. Nice thing about those, there's no required distributions from them in retirement, like there are from your 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 qualified retirement plans. And when you eventually pass away, any money in those taxable accounts gets a step up in basis. What that means is you know, the, the taxable accounts, you have to pay capital gains taxes when you sell investments for more than you bought them for. So, you know, if you, you put money into an account, buy an investment for $100, it grows to $125 and you sell it, you have to pay taxes on that $25 gain. Well, if you pass away and leave that investment to your heirs, your heirs now get the step up in basis to the fair market value of $125. So if they were to sell it for $125, they would pay zero in taxes. Or if it grows to $175, they would only have to pay 50 taxes on that $50 of gain from because of that step up in basis. So, so those taxable accounts are, are, are fantastic to leave behind Again, because your heirs get that step up in basis, so they, they, their cost basis resets to whatever the fair market value is when you pass away, which will greatly reduce. It's essentially like getting out of taxes free. Um, you know, you just have to die in order to accomplish it, which is <laughs> But um, yeah, so, so definitely uh, a consideration there when you're, you're looking at your, your spending strategies in retirement, which Rochelle will talk about here now. Yeah. I think the other thing about brokerage accounts is if we're really trying to build wealth and leave wealth behind, they're just not limited. You can put as much money as you want to into them. So it's a, a really good vehicle to be able to pump a lot of cash into and help it grow for when you want to leave it behind at some point. Um, the one other thing that we hadn't mentioned before, we're kind of focusing on investments today, but with real estate, you can potentially also get a, a step up in basis. So if you own a property and it grows in value and let's say you're you're renting it out it's a rental property and you bought it for two hundred thousand dollars let's say the fair market value at the time that you pass is three hundred thousand dollars if you had sold it during your lifetime and not reinvested the money into another real estate transaction then you would owe taxes on the gains from when you bought it and when you sold it but if you pass it on to your heirs you get that same step up in basis so they don't have to pay taxes on that growth. So that that can be really powerful as well. So there's lots of different things that you can think about when you're doing these tax planning strategies if you're intending to leave resources behind. 
um, when you are spending in retirement. So you get to retirement, you're not working anymore, you need some money, you're, <laughs> you're not going to spend nothing so that your heirs get everything. Chances are we're not living on Social Security, it's probably not going to be quite enough, but you know, you can kind of focus on using those resources immediately and then the other thing that you will likely have is like required minimum distributions from your pre-tax retirement accounts there's a certain amount of money that you're gonna have to take out because the irs they they want to be able to encourage people to save for retirement they don't want you to not have to pay taxes ever so (laughs) at some point they want you to take that money out and start paying taxes on it one thing to focus on is that when we are thinking about your investable assets as a whole Like really the goal is that we have a really low withdrawal rate, like a really low percentage of your investable assets are being taken out in order to kind of maintain a lot of that principle. So it it, depending on what your resources are, it may be, you know, two or three percent. It just depends on on how much you have saved up. The other thing is that we can kind of focus on spending money from those pre-tax accounts for the purpose of paying taxes at your retirement income rate, which may be fairly low, so that those assets, like if they were passed on to your heirs, they'd be forced to take them out at this point, probably over 10 years, unless they're left to a spouse. And it it could be that your children or whoever your heirs are, are in a, a higher income tax bracket. So they'd have to pay more in taxes over 10 years, which is a shorter period of time. The other thing that you can consider, there's a couple other things you can consider. One is an annuity, and I know these kind of get a bad rap, and that can make sense. They can be fairly expensive and things like that. But what they can do is they give you kind of a protected income stream. Like we've bought an annuity. It is designed to give you an annual benefit, a monthly benefit. We know that we have this. And therefore, because we have this, we don't have to tap into our investment assets quite as much. It also is very helpful when we're thinking about longevity. So if you think, like, my life expectancy is not terribly long. I may pass away at age 75. It might not make sense to do an annuity because you can save a good deal of your money without doing that. But if you expect to maybe live for quite a long time, annuities, they keep giving you money. And it could be that it's a very good return on investment if you live for a long time and you get this protected income stream over and over and over so you have to tap into your investment assets less. So it can be a good tool to use potentially. The other thing that can be a very simple solution is just to consider some permanent life insurance. Like I know that I want to leave a million dollars to each of my children when I pass away, period. Done. That's what my goal is. Um, permanent life insurance can be very expensive, but at the same time, like if that's your goal, it can help you achieve that goal in a very stable way. You have to pay your premiums, obviously. We have to make sure we're paying for that insurance, but your beneficiaries will receive that that amount unless you start taking loans against it or doing other more complicated things. Um, there's lots of other things that we can think about when we're planning these gifting strategies and things like that too. You want to go into that one a little bit more, Corey? Yes, um, is on the permanent life insurance one again. It probably gets an even worse rap than annuities. But if you're using it for a legacy planning tool to leave money behind, you, you know, reframe it, and you're essentially buying money at a discount. Yeah, it's expensive, but in that example, Rochelle, you want to leave a million to each kid. You buy a three million dollar permanent life insurance policy. It's not going to cost you three million dollars in premiums to purchase that. 
you know, depending on how you structure it, whether it's a lump sum initial premium or you pay, you know, monthly for life or up till a certain amount, like you will factually pay less than $3 million into the policy. And, you know, depending on the type of policy, your, your heirs will be guaranteed to receive that money uh, when you pass away. Um, so it, it can definitely be a good tool from that perspective uh, to essentially, like I said, buy money at a discount. Now, could you invest the premiums instead and potentially get a larger amount? Possibly, you know, depends on the circumstances, but no guarantees, of course. Um, the other thing, which, you know, we'll gloss over here in a second on the estate planning aside, but you could actually put your life insurance in a trust outside of your estate so that it's excluded from your uh, estate value and therefore excluded from the taxable value of your estate as well. So it can help mitigate estate taxes when you pass away. Um, other things to consider here. So gifting to either the heirs or charity, depending on what your objectives are, you know, who you want to leave the money behind to while you're living, rather than waiting until you die to send that money out the door, gift it while you're living. And this does two things. One, which we just touched on, reduces your estate value. Um, so less money is susceptible to estate taxes when you die. Now, if, if you we're not going to go into the weeds on this today. Um, but when you pass away, if your net worth is over a certain amount, you pay federal taxes when you pass away. Um, at the state level, depending on what state you live in, the state you live in may also have additional estate taxes. So for example, Rochelle and I both live in Oregon. If you're worth over a million dollars when you pass away in Oregon, anything above that is taxed at a top rate you know, it, it, the, the rate scales up, but the top rate is 16%. So, you know, depending on pretty much everyone listening on this line is probably going to be worth more than a million dollars when you pass away. Heck, your house alone will probably be worth a million dollars or more when you pass away. Um, so pretty easy to, to clear that hurdle. And again, check, you know, your, your own state if there are estate taxes at death, but um, gifting money away while you're living reduces the amount that'll be taxed when you die and, and you can get that money to your your, your desired place, heirs or charity um, you know, and avoid some of the taxes on it. Now, the other benefit is it allows you to see the benefit of your dollars that you give to others while you're still living. You know, if you want to see your, your children you know, or, and potentially grandchildren enjoy that vacation house that you helped pay for, um, you know, make the memories last. You know, that, that can be really rewarding. If you want to see the dollars that you give to charity benefit the world, um, you know, that, can, that can be a, a, a great experience for you, you know, a really rewarding experience. So um, you know, you're not going to be able to see the use when you're, when you're dead. Um, so you could consider doing it while you're alive. Now, when it comes to gifting uh, and giving money away, the IRS has limits on how much you can gift each year to an individual, as well as a lifetime limit to reduce the value of your estate for tax purposes. Now, you can give away as much as you want in a given year, but only a certain amount can be excluded from taxes per year and throughout your lifetime. Now, those annual limits and the lifetime limits 
change over time. Um, you know, the annual one, you know, is kind of indexed to inflation. I think it's what is it, sixteen thousand this year? I could be wrong. Um, yeah, I think it's seventeen thousand in twenty twenty three. Okay, seventeen thousand, and that's each individual can give another individual that much. So, like, if you're married, you and your spouse can each give your each of your children seventeen thousand a person. So that's thirty four thousand per kid. You could each and potentially their spouses. So yeah, and yeah. their spouses if they're married. So you could potentially get sixty eight thousand to the your child and their spouse, and then you know another another um, you know thirty four to each of their kids. Um, or I think I'm losing my math here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever. You get the idea. So and and there's no limit to how many individuals you can give money to and reduce the value of your estate. Now there's also a lifetime limit that you can gift away. Currently it's obnoxiously high. It's like twenty three million if you're if you're married, but that can change over time. That's set to expire in 2025 and go back to the previous limit, which is half that amount. But there have been periods of time where it's been as little as 600,000 that can be excluded from your estate. So gifting that money away while you're living helps bring the value of your estate down so that less money is subject to taxes when you pass away. Um, and and the sooner you start doing this, ultimately, the more you can gift away. If there's a, an annual amount that you can gift to exclude in addition to the lifetime limit that, you know, every year that you give, the earlier you start, that's each year that you start sooner is one year more that you can ultimately give away uh, before you expire. Um now, with all of this stuff, again, we're kind of glossing over it, uh, but estate planning is, is huge. It's imperative um, to make sure all this kind of works as, as, as planned um, in, in as tax-efficient and cost-efficient manner. So you know, we talked already about the life insurance, you know, potentially putting that in a trust to get it out of the value of your estate. Um, you know, the estate planning will help reduce probate costs, so when you, know, when you pass away, Generally, your estate has to go through probate court, which can be pretty expensive and, and lengthy process. Um, but there are ways to avoid probate for some of your assets and bring those costs down. If you have a well-structured written plan in place, makes it more streamlined and efficient. Um, if you're using trusts, trusts bypass probate. So anything that's that's in the trust can, can skip the probate process, which is nice. Um, you know, the estate plan can help minimize questions or fighting between heirs and relatives you know if you've got a very specific detailed written plan in place that's legible and, and decipherable and understandable there's not going to be a lot of questions or, or areas to contest in the courts you know it's pretty cut and dry and clear what you wanted to happen and again it'll streamline the process keep the attorney fees as, as low as possible and ultimately get the money to to the destination you want it to go to. And it also allows you to exercise some level of control of how that money is distributed and used. So definitely don't skimp on the estate planning side of things. Um, it doesn't have to be an overly complicated process or, or estate plan. You can keep it relatively simple and straightforward, but at least, again, it'll help make things more efficient, more cost effective, and ultimately get more money into the hands that you want it to be in. Definitely. 
Yeah, I think that a lot of these things work together with like a lawyer and a financial planner and all of those kinds of pieces. And um, another thing you can consider is if you're really, really interested in charitable organizations and charitable donations, if you want to leave money aside while you are around, it can be really helpful to set up a donor advised fund, which is another one of those things that you might need a little help with, but can be really beneficial. When you contribute money to it, you actually do get a tax deduction. And then you can invest money within the fund and continue to let it grow and compound tax-free and then give it to charity at some point in the future. So it can be money that you're investing, but specifically for charity already. And you can fund it with like your RMDs in retirement. So if you have substantial RMDs, like your those are your required minimum distributions. Sometimes we get caught up with the acronyms and stuff. But if you have required minimum distributions from your retirement accounts and they're just more substantial than you need to maintain your lifestyle, that can be a great place to put them on top of maybe gifting some of that money to people that you know and care about. Um, after age 72 is when you start having those required minimum distributions. Those numbers do change sometimes. That's what the number is now. Um, but I think that if anything, it may go up a little bit in the future just because as people have more longevity and they're living for longer, that's what has happened in the past. But for people who saved a lot into 401ks, especially if you're self-employed, those retired distributions can be substantial, like several hundred thousand dollars a year. Let's say you're self-employed and you contribute that IRS limit each year. So right now, the limit is $66,000 per year. That's the plan maximum. If you're age 50 or older, it's $73,500. So if you did that every year, every year you know, it could potentially go up as well. But it wouldn't be crazy to have you know, $10 million plus in a pre-tax retirement account, which is all subject to required minimum distributions. So if you, in, in the, there's like complicated IRS calculations determining how much you have to take out each year, but let's say it's like 4% is your rate in your 70s, that'd be about $400,000 per year. And that increases as you age. So if you're 80, your required minimum distribution will be a larger percentage of your pre-tax retirement plan. So that's a lot of money. If you don't need it all, you might as well have someplace useful to put it. Um, charitable gifting, setting up a donor advised funds, things like that can be part of that solution if that's one of your ultimate goals. So lots of different ways to approach this, different ways that you can save and spend money so that you're kind of working towards your goals. Um, again, like we're not here to make a value judgment on whether or not you should do that. This is just if, if you're interested in doing something like that, there's definitely lots of ways to make it more efficient. You know, make your money go as far as possible and in the directions that you want it to go in. Yeah, no right or wrong answer, no judgment. You know, don't do something just because your friend or relatives or, or someone else is doing it. You know, do what you want to do. It's your money. Um, you know, and uh, and yeah. So if if leaving some money behind is an objective of yours, or even if it isn't, you know, odds of of having some money to leave behind are, are probably pretty good in in most of these listeners' uh, shoes here. Like, there's a good chance there's going to be something to leave behind. So, kind of thinking about some of that stuff um, and how to make it happen uh, it would be beneficial, but. Yeah, maybe we'll do another episode one day on on how to die with zero for those of you that don't want to leave anything behind. But a 
credit card balance and a mortgage balance to your kids. So um, <laughs> that'll be a fun one. I love that idea. Yeah, I think that's the other side of this coin and obviously two extremes. But the other one is like, OK, let's live life to the fullest. Let's make sure, you know, you have the experiences that you want while you're alive. And, you know, especially if you don't necessarily have a whole lot of people that you want to leave money behind to. Let's make sure you get as much use out of your money as possible. So, yes, I like the idea of a follow up part two episode on this one. <laughs> there we go. Well, thanks for listening. Share with your friends. Uh, retweet. Do whatever. You know, the our goal is to help as many people as possible. So if you find value in this, you know, let others know about it. And much appreciated. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanen Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanen. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast, on our Finity Group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.